edify means to enlighten, encourage, and uplift individuals, intellectually, morally, and spiritually. That's exactly what our Edify podcast guests do, as they share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Mary Fiorito. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the Edify podcast. Our guest today is Kelly Fedorik. She serves as Senior Counsel and Government Affairs Director for Alliance Defending Freedom, working to protect First Amendment freedoms, the sanctity of life, and the right to privacy. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Mary. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for being with us. Um, so, Kelly, you are um, with Alliance Defending Freedom, which is well known in the country um, for taking on cases that often find themselves in the media. When you were in law school, was was this something that you had hoped to do, to be so involved in in cases that were both controversial and highly public? It was certainly a dream to to work for ADF and to work on on cases involving, you know, defending our fundamental freedoms, defending the sanctity of life. And oftentimes in our culture that we find ourselves in today, those do tend to be a bit controversial, but it's just a real blessing and privilege to be able to, to work on such important cases that impact so many Americans' lives. Well, let's start with a sort of fundamental notion that's often thrown out, especially on social media, when we're talking about things like um, the right of free exercise of religion and privacy rights, is that there's a separation of church and state. There's so much misunderstanding about that statement. And can you explain to our listeners where that phrase comes from? I know it's not in the Constitution, where it comes from and what its original meaning and intent were. Well, the Supreme Court has been very clear about what the Constitution says, and that is that the, the government cannot infringe on Americans' fundamental freedoms. We each have, and it's really rooted in our human dignity, right. that freedom to be able to, to live, to work, to speak consistent with our convictions without the government uh, infringing on that or dictating what we should think or what we should believe or how we should uh, speak. Right. And so really what the Constitution, what the First Amendment and the Free and the uh, free Exercise Clause protect is to ensure that the government in no way infringes on individuals or, you know, on, on agencies or, or churches or, or businesses who are run, operated by individuals who mm -hmm. each have have that conscience. Right. So it's it's really a, meant as a as a safeguard uh, to prevent government intr intrusion into into the lives of the Amer of American people. And particularly the religion. Absolutely. Right? You know, as as many Americans don't know actually, the mm -hmm. phrase separation of church and state comes from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist uh, Convention or the Danbury Baptist uh, Church group in uh, 1802 to assure them that the United States has a wall of separation of church and state that would protect the congregation mm -hmm. from being imposed upon by the government or directed by the government to do right. that. So it was to assure religious organizations and religious denominations that no, the government here is not going to interfere with your your, your religious practices, your religious beliefs, um, what you may do in public as a religious person. But it, that that whole phrase gets turned on its head and, and I think many people understand it now to mean that you can't do anything religious in public. Right. And the whole whole entire purpose, you're absolutely right, was to ensure that, one, there was no government-endorsed religion. But ultimately, that was to ensure that everyone had that, that freedom. I think a lot of Americans think that um, our freedoms come from the government. Mm -hmm. They don't. Our freedoms are rooted in each of us as our, as our, in our human dignity. Right. Because they're we're natural created, rights. They're natural right. rights. They come from The God. government's yeah. duty is to protect 
protect those freedoms and to mm-hmm. ensure that they're not infringed on so that each of us has that freedom to you know, explore the, the, the meaning of life, to pursue our religious beliefs, and then to, to order and live our lives consistent with, with those convictions, with right. our own conscience, exactly. Right. Well, can you, I know this wasn't your case, um, but can you speak a little bit about the most recent sort of religious liberty case that the Supreme Court decided involving a football coach who had been praying with his team. It was a uh, coach at a public high school, had been praying with his team regularly. It was optional, but he had been praying with the team and um, sometimes before the game and sometimes after the game. uh, And finally, he did this for years, was finally reprimanded. He stopped doing it, but what he continued to do was to go to the 50-yard line after the game was over Mm -hmm. and say a prayer. And he did that on three separate occasions and then he was terminated from his job. And the, the court ruled that um, that was a violation of both his free exercise and free speech rights. Um, but boy, did that entire fact pattern get twisted in the, in the media, didn't it? It really did. And it's not an isolated occurrence where we're seeing people who are trying to you know, live their lives and pursue uh, their vocations and, and live and work consistent with their convictions. And rather than seeing the government both at the federal level and the state level, protect people like Coach Kennedy and respect their ability to, to, it's truly an exercise. It's supposed to be an exercise of our conscience. They're trying to silence anyone who they feel uh, disagree with current government orthodoxy. And, and really that should frighten all of us, no matter where our beliefs are, mm-hmm. because, you know, history comes and goes. Some beliefs are popular, some aren't. And really the purpose of the First Amendment is to protect the minority views, the minority beliefs, so that everyone has that freedom to, to live and to work consistent with their convictions. Right. And, you know, I the analogy I try to make is that, you know, the government can't tell you not to be a religious person in public. So mm-hmm. if I work at the post office and it's Ash Wednesday, I can't be told not to wear my ashes on my forehead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that's just kind of a simple example. But, yeah. you know, that's the kind of um, freedom that we have in this country. You know, where in other countries, if you do work for a government entity, you can't have any outward expression right. of your religious right. beliefs. Well, right? and I think oftentimes people think that your religious beliefs only stick with you on Sunday. They forget yes, right. that they inform your life, you know, Monday through Saturday as well, whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're at the grocery store. We should be able to express and to live consistent right. with the very faith that inspires and, and drives our, our lives. Right. And, you know, I, I, uh, I'm I, an allied attorney with ADF, as you know, and I remember that very first time I went to an ADF training and, you know, we talked about this, living your faith in the public square right. and how important it is. Right. And, um, you know, particularly as Christians, we're not supposed to keep our light under a bushel basket. We are supposed to share. Um, but that, you know, the, the founders put it first because they considered it the most important freedom. Freedom of religion is the first. It's bedrock. It's yes, bedrock to every, right. everything else. And fu- and it is fundamental. So therefore, um, it receives the highest uh, level of scrutiny right. uh, constitutionally um, because in order to infringe upon that freedom, you've got to have a really, 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 really good reason right. to do it, right? Right. And we're really, you know, one thing, Mary, it's been really on my heart lately is that the United States is is truly sort of the last country that is so committed to mm-hmm. protecting free speech, to protecting religious liberty. Um, many countries aren't doing that. And so if we, if we, if, if we're at a crossroads, mm-hmm. we're seeing the government uh, increasingly target those beliefs. So if right. we, we as Americans don't stand up and, and say, these are important. We want to cherish these. 
Um, and I think part of that is, is explaining the good of religious liberty. Sometimes right. people don't realize, well, what's good that comes out of it? Well, if you think about, think about all of the social welfare organizations, the adoption providers, the foster care providers, those who are serving the poor, the homeless, those in prisons, many of those entities are inspired and driven by their faith right. to serve the most vulnerable amongst us. Right. So religious liberty, protecting religious liberty has a very tangible impact. And you see when societies protect that, you see human flourishing. Societies that don't, you see exactly. people suffering. You see more and, war, you see more poverty. And you see human rights abuses Absolutely. Too. And you look at China is probably the perfect example of that. Yes. Well, um, well, you were fortunate enough and how privileged you were to be able to work on the Dobbs case, um, the case that overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, just like that would have been, I think, a dream come true for so many uh, Catholic lawyers and Christian lawyers. It was truly a humbling experience. Uh, so, What many was your particular role? Alliance Defending Freedom <clears throat> served on the legal team with the Mississippi mm -hmm. Attorney General's Office to defend the law at the court. We were also involved in drafting um, the model legislation that Mississippi ultimately used to pass the law back, wow. in, back in 2018. So you were there from the very so, beginning. Yes, yeah. from the very beginning. When you were doing that, did you, did you know, did you have an understanding that this is going to be the law that will then get Roe back in front of the court again? We certainly were, were hopeful that it would. When we were mm -hmm. drafting the legislation, we were really trying to find something that was, was strategic that would, would strike at the heart of, of Roe and Casey. Right. And the, the law, there's three components to the law that were really important in terms of where the court has said a state can regulate abortion and protect life. One is the interest of the unborn child. Two is just the, the impact of abortion on women's health and well-being. And right. we know from the science and the data that certainly in the second trimester, the risks to women go up significantly. significantly. Right. Right. And then third is just to protect and uh, defend the integrity of the medical profession, which is another vital component. So we were certainly very hopeful that that this law would ultimately challenge uh, Roe and, and, and Casey. And, and, you know, it did. I mean, the court mm -hmm. was so right in saying that those laws were egregiously wrong. Right. They have no basis. Egregiously wrong from the beginning. And from, the, is, from the very yeah. beginning, from 1973. And, and for right reason, there, there's no basis in the text of the Constitution. There's no his, basis in the history of our nation's laws. In fact, right. in 1973, 46 states already protected life. Some of them right. even criminalized abortion at that point. So our history speaks to a protection for life and a support for women, not the opposite. Right. So no no basis there. And so the court was absolutely right to overturn those and return that decision to the people and their elected representatives to pass laws that affirm that life is a human right mm -hmm. and that to find ways to comprehensively come around women and their families to support them right. to choose full and, and flourishing lives. And, you know, I think all of us in this country should be so grateful mm -hmm. to Attorney General Lynn Fitch and to, and to Solicitor General Scott Stewart yeah. because they were bold. They didn't have to ask the court to overturn, overturn Roe. Yeah. They could have just said, hey, uphold our, our law, right. but they didn't. They said Roe is wrong. And they were bold and their courage to say, overturn this, this terrible decision that's hurt countless people. Mm -hmm. um, we owe so such a debt of gratitude right. to well, each of them. Me, why, did, uh, why the 15 week? So listeners, for those of you who are familiar with the Mississippi law that, that brought this case to the Supreme Court, Mississippi banned elective abortions after 15 weeks. Um, except for, I believe there was a, a life of the mother mm -hmm. exception, but also I believe a fetal abnormality. So why 15 weeks? That, that felt like a kind of random number to me because 
So much of Europe limits it at 12 weeks. Even Roe itself, you know, talked about the first trimester. Was there a particular strategic reason for choosing that 15-week number? Well, I think 15-week was particularly strategic because we recognized that once you get fully in the second trimester, where is where is the science and where is the data? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the science was showing, certainly with unborn human life, at that point, uh, they can definitely feel pain at 15 weeks, um, they, we know that they can hiccup, they can taste, um, they can they can move, they have a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. There were so many um, developmental components to it that were okay. very clear at 15 weeks, okay. and the science backed that up. Right. Um, we also saw from a from the perspective of of the woman and the impact abortion has on women, the substantial risk to her life, um, just this risk of death, in, mm -hmm. as well as you know physical and, and emotional complications go up substantially. I believe the risk of death goes up 2,000% once mm -hmm. you get squarely into the second trimester. Right. Also, the, the the procedure that is required for abortions once you get to second trimester mm -hmm. is so brutal as they, as they tear the baby limb from limb. And really, for the medical profession, if you take an oath to do no harm, we should not be putting our physicians in a position where they are, they are providing this this horrific and yeah, gruesome procedure. Yeah, exactly. They're causing, they're causing harm. harm. Yeah. So for all of those reasons, um, it made sense to, to to really focus on that and that time frame um, and also to push back on the viability test. Right. Um, the viability standard is is such an arbitrary rule that the court mm -hmm. gave us. Another reason why Roe and Casey were just so so horrific. Yeah, and Roe reads like legislation, doesn't it? Where where the court lays out this this trimester framework. Right. And right. there had been no there had been no evidentiary hearings um, at the at the trial court exactly. level in Roe. So, you know, where they they seem to have kind of pulled right. it out of thin air and were acting like legislators. Right. Right. And and the viability line that's changing. I mean, with mm -hmm. the development of science since 1973, right. viability is consistently moving um, lower yep. and lower. And that was something else we recognized that. If, if you have such a such an arbitrary line like viability, that really is not aligned to determine whether a life should be protected or whether a of life course. should not. Right, exactly. And you know, um, we in fact had a, a, a another uh, Edify interview and, and video with a, a pediatrician who um, is a neurodevelopmental pediatrician. Mm -hmm. So she treats a lot of babies um, once they leave the NICU. She becomes their doctors. A lot of babies born prematurely. But she was talking about the science that the court had available to it in 1973, mm -hmm. where even babies at 34 weeks only had a five to 10% chance of survival. Right. Now those babies right. often don't even go to the NICU, they just go straight home. Yes. Um, so we have just made you know, advancements that are you know, just wildly ahead of where the court was back in 1973. And right. it was about time the law caught up with it. Right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, Kelly Fedorik, thank you so much for all that you are doing to edify Americans on the constitution and on their God-given rights to practice their religion. We wish you all the best and thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you, Mary, for having me. Thank you for listening. To make it easier for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.